Well, hello, online church family. Happy October. Why don't you grab your pumpkin spice latte and get ready to worship the Lord together. Let's do it. Hey, church, good to be with you. It's an online worship service. It's the first of the month. We're going to take communion. So stop what you're doing. Prepare some bread. Prepare a cup and be ready to take communion with us later in the service. In the meantime, let's sing one of my favorite, favorite songs. It's an absolute jam. Here we go. with 
the dead to life with words that pierce the dark with light. Only by the blood are we set free. With mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree, you alone hold the power to song has a great lyric. It says, no grave can hold what your grace has justified. Uh, and that is echoed in scripture. I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, middle of part of verse 26. It says this, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. I want you to focus this week for communion on one idea, that his sacrifice on the cross was completely sufficient. There's nothing else that's needed. It's echoed in scripture over and over. His blood is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. 
uh, sometimes we have our sin, we have our regrets and we just carry it around as if the Lord hasn't been able to forgive that. And the reality is that's just our decision because scripture says that it was once and for all. That's it. It's sufficient for you. Reach out, prepare your heart uh, to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're gonna sing one more song and then we'll do a little communion time. represents the body of Christ. It was broken. It was laid in the ground and supernaturally it was knit back together and raised to life. And scripture says when he comes back in bodily form, he is no longer needed to deal with sin. He's just coming for those who are eagerly awaiting his return, according to the scripture. Let us eat and remember the broken and resurrected body of Jesus Christ.
This represents the blood that was spilled, the blood that was spilled as an offering for many. And earlier in Hebrews, it says, it's not like the priests who had to keep going back year after year to atone again and again. This was the sacrifice once and for all, for everybody, for you, me, people that have never, that haven't even been born yet. His blood is sufficient. It is all encompassing. It is the forgiveness of sins. Drink and remember the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much, worship team. Again, hello, everybody. It is great to be with you. My name is Josh. I have a couple of announcements for you. First off, we would love to pray for you yet again this week. So please text those prayer requests to 97,000. It is always really sweet praying for you throughout the week. And I know Stephanie is having some awesome text conversations. So please keep on sending those over. Hey, we just wanted to put a couple of things out there just so that you're aware. If you're in the area and you are ready to get back and engage, uh, especially after hearing from Pastor Scott's nudge last week, man, we just wanted to let you know about a couple of things that are coming up. The month of October, we are deeming October fall fun month. Lots of fun things going on on Sundays here at the church. Please come on by. We'd love to have you come and grab some delicious treats that we're going to be having and hang out. We'd love to see you back on campus. Also during the month of October, included in the fall fun, 
Pastor John Irwin is retiring here at the end of the year, and we are throwing him a celebration bash here next Sunday, October 10th. There's going to be a taco truck, some delicious gourmet cookies, and just a sweet time of celebrating him and his years and years of faithful ministry. Again, if you're comfortable being back on the campus, that would be such an awesome time to re-engage and be back around. We'd love to see you for that next week. And then also in two weeks, we wanted to put on uh, out there for you guys our men's one-day retreat, Saturday, October 16th, all day, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. We've got so much good stuff planned for that day. Um, Not only will there be a Dodger playoff game on, fingers crossed, hopefully we'll see, uh, but lots of fun games. And honestly, the best part is just connecting with the guys hearing from God's word, having some sweet time of worship. Again, we would love to see you back on campus uh, here in the coming weeks. You can register for the men's retreat online even right now. Uh, Thank you so much for continuing to support the ministries here at the church. Um, You can continue to give by doing so online on our website or sending in a check, whatever makes the most sense for you. Uh, Just thank you so much. Hey, let me pray for us before we dive into God's word and wrap up our series in the book of Jonah. Dear Lord, uh, Father, we just thank you uh, so much for this church, and uh, thank you again just for the opportunity to be able to video these messages and these times of worship and uh, get these out to uh, people, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you just continue to use uh, these sweet times together. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through your word today. Um, Thank you so much for the sweet truths that have been in the book of Jonah, and pray that you just speak to us again. Um, Lord, we love you so much, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Here's Pastor Scott. Well, thanks, Josh, and thank you, worship team. Uh, Always so good to have the opportunity to be together online. And uh, we're just here today finishing up our series in Jonah. And I'll tell you what, I've really been blessed by this series. I I hope you have been as well. If there's any that you've missed, always feel free to go back and and catch up a little bit. And today, though, if if you're uh, close to a Bible, if you have the option to pull out a phone, it's so helpful if we're working through this together. So just starting in uh, Jonah 4, chapter 1. And as you're uh, finding that or your place there in Jonah, just notice something, kind of a, a version, really every culture has their version of Christianity, if you will, kind of they would call that cultural Christianity. And really some things that happen with that are, are good and some things not so good. Sometimes in, in cultural Christianity, there's some things that we give ourselves uh, permission to participate in and that, that, that shouldn't be participated in. And then there's some things that uh, we, we actually resist participating in that we didn't necessarily need to resist. Well, one of the things I've noticed that we have given ourselves in this day and age permission to within the church as a whole is permission to hold offenses against someone, basically to have grudges, to have people that we haven't forgiven, that we've en- enemies that we haven't released It's kind of a a sad part of our version of Christianity when it goes in direct uh, contrast to what Jesus specifically tells us. In Matthew 5, 44, he says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We not only have enemies, if we're honest with ourselves, we often even celebrate in their demise. We see it everywhere in our culture. Well, for sure in the media, I was thinking this week as it relates to this topic that I'm starting here is one of the pictures. I don't know if you, for some reason in the years going past, have ever watched 
the, the movie uh, called Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Now, that was, came out a, a bunch of years back. I actually read this week that it's actually in the top 20 most popular Christmas films of all time. I think maybe just because it took place uh, during Christmas. E- either way, if you remember details of it, the entire film is kind of building towards just you just despising this main bad guy. I don't know if you remember him. His name was Hans Gruber. That's a great bad guy name, but uh, the, he was a German terrorist, and all of it builds towards the uh, final scene, if you remember in the movie, where he's hanging off the edge of the Nakatomi Plaza Tower. He's hanging off, and in slow motion, you see Hans Gruber drop to his death. And unfortunately, they had done such a good job of creating this as an as a enemy, as somebody that you despise. You find yourself, Christian or not Christian, unfortunately, cheering it on. You're like, yes, finally, this guy gets what he deserves. Stop and think about that for a second. You rationalize that because you tell yourself, well, it's okay because he's a bad guy. And here's where I'm going to nudge us a little bit here today is in our understanding and what Jesus uh, describes as as an enemy is sometimes this, this definition that we have of a bad guy is actually inaccurate because really every single one of us qualify for that same title. If we understand what scripture teaches, we're told that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, or no one is righteous, not even one. So God is in the process of teaching Jonah this important lesson that there's no good and bad people, just bad ones with varying levels of restraint. Again, I'll repeat that, no good or bad people, really just bad ones with varying levels of restraint. But the amazing news, and you're like, please tell me we got something we're heading towards, is we're about to see that we have a gracious God that loves bad people. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you for this chance to to gather around your word. And we believe every time we open it, you have something for us. And so we ask that you'd expose maybe some inconsistencies in our life, that you'd expose some growth areas, that you'd encourage areas that need to be encouraged, that you do a work in us now. We submit to that in your spirit. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So if you remember where we left off last week, we're in the story of Jonah. Jonah Jonah has been spit out of the sea creature. He finally submits. He he finally makes the decision to obey God. He heads it into Nineveh. And you remember his, his passionless message that he shares with the people, basically telling them 40 days and the city's going to be overthrown or destroyed. But surprisingly to us as the audience, and I imagine Jonah as the the one sharing the message, the message actually causes complete transformation. There's a major revival in the city of Nineveh. In fact, we're told that all of them 
believe God. Everybody, it doesn't matter what class they're in, everybody repents, turns to God, commits to living differently. And so all the way from the, the, the smallest to the greatest, even making its way all the way up to the king. So this would have been, for all intents and purposes, this would have been worthy of celebration. I mean, this was mass revival. Any missionary would be thrilled. I was just thinking about that in the, the last day. Imagine Bob, uh, Jim and Barb Liljergren coming back from a, a Russia trip as they faithfully have ministered there and reporting back to the church. Guess what, guys? Great news. Moscow has turned and come to the Lord. And you're like, well, awesome. A, a few people made some decisions for Christ. That's, that's great. And they're like, no, all of them, every single one of them. We would be doing backflips because of the influence our God had had on those people. So the question for us is how will Jonah respond? He should be excited, right? Take a look, chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well? To be angry. In the words of the great lyricist Cindy Lauper, we see your true colors shining through. Jonah, we're seeing him on full display here. We're getting a glimpse into what's going on in Jonah's heart, and it's not real pretty if we're honest. You would think that he'd be thrilled to have this on his prophet resume, but instead, what are we told? That after the revival, he was displeased. Jonah, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That original word there for anger is the idea of red hot with rage. Jonah did what God wanted, but God didn't do what Jonah wanted. In fact, just the exact opposite. In all fairness towards Jonah there, we've kind of pushed on this before in the series, is really the Ninevites were the, were the Nazis of their day really taking over more and more people groups by sheer force. Their cruelty uh, was, was miserable. So it wasn't a, a people group that you'd necessarily want to support. It was, the, it was the Hans Grubers of that day. We never heard up until this point really how Jonah felt. We just saw his actions. He chose to uh, run and flee. Now we're actually getting a chance to see a little bit of where he's coming from. What does he say? He says he'd rather die than to see them rescued. He can't tolerate the magnitude of the grace for this barbarian people. Basically, he's telling God, I knew this was gonna happen. It's, it's kind of funny because you kind of sense it as a, a guilt trip to God. I just knew you were going to do this. That's why, and he explains to him, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish as if God was unclear as to why he, why, was he, why is he leaving? This is all new news to God. Yeah, right. More than that, he begins to scold God. Look at what he, what he says. He starts listing all these characteristics about God. A gracious God um, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
How crazy does he sound right now, uh, pushing back against God for those character qualities? It's interesting, upon a little more research, you discover that Jonah was actually quoting Exodus 34, 6, in a description that God had made about himself to his people as he's revealing himself to them. If you remember the story, when, when Moses went up to have the, receive the Ten Commandments, what was happening back in the, in the camp, they were there celebrating and worshiping a golden calf, and it was a huge, uh, miserable sin that they're entangled in. And after that, he chooses to relent uh, on, on, on destroying them all and describes himself as this. So Jonah being somebody, being of, of Jewish descent is actually not thinking this through because really he's only there because of these character qualities of God. He's only, his existence was dependent on God being gracious and merciful and abounding in love. It's important for us to understand, those of us who have been rescued, who have embraced the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers on the cross, that we're only there for the exact same reason, for, for the exact same purpose, because we have a God that is merciful and full of grace. So as ridiculous as Jonah might seem in this section of scripture, really, as I mentioned in week two, this is the story of us. So my question for us as we wrestle through this and try to personalize it, who are our modern day Ninevites? Who are, who are the people that we won't release? Who are the people that we have an irrational hatred for despite being on the receiving end of unbelievable mercy and grace? I jotted down a couple you could probably add to this list. The first one that I put is probably the most common. The number one, per, one, number one group of modern day Ninevites would be the, the person who's done something to hurt you. Someone that's offended you over the years, whether it was a friend, whether it was a family member, whether it was just an acquaintance, whatever. That person that has wronged you is the Ninevite that we would never, ever want to see experience God's grace and mercy. That's the person that's, that God is, is clear about when he's telling, when Jesus is specifying that we're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that's who he's referring to. But we have our Ninevites. We have them and we've maybe held on to something and towards somebody for years and years. More recently, you have been more exposed in the media as some of the, the, the other reasons, the other Ninevites, Ninevites, the idea of different ethnic backgrounds or social classes, different tension because of race. So we have, we have things that we hold against people just because of their background, where they're, where they're from. You see somebody uh, dressed differently and all of a sudden lots of stereotypes start going through your mind. Maybe that's our Ninevite. Maybe it is a specific people group. Third thing I jotted down, and as I said, you could add to the, this list, uh, another modern-day Ninevite, someone who thinks different than you politically. Whoo, that's a hot one present day. Somebody that's on the other side of the aisle for you. Somebody that sees really every topic that you bring up, they see the exact opposite perspective from a political stance and from a political viewpoint. That is so often our modern day Ninevites. We couldn't imagine getting along with that person. We hold that against them. 
Another one I'd say is present day. A couple years ago, this wouldn't even be on the radar, but someone that has different views about the virus and our response. Masks, vaccines, all the stuff. We're ready to draw lines and cut off relationships because of what, where somebody stands on these current present topics. That's our present day Nineveh. Ninevites. And really, if you think about it, it must sadden God's heart the same way it saddened God's heart with Jonah. Seeing him say, I love those people too. It's hard news for us to realize that we have a God that loves our enemy as much as he loves us. That's the truth. That's the reality. So my hope is, is that we're asking ourselves some tough questions. Who am I harboring resentment towards? And then answering the exact same question that God asked Jonah. What's that question? Do you see it back there in the text? He says, do you do well to be angry? It's a wonderful question for us, still present day. In other words, what good is coming from that? Is there, is there anything positive? Does that enhance your life? Is your life better because of this, this unforgiveness? Are you kidding me? Just the opposite. Unforgiveness, I've heard it said, is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. It eats you up from the inside. And so he's wanting to get to the root of this issue with his wandering prophet. Notice that Jonah has nothing to say in response rather than engaging in a healthy conversation with God. And that's a lot of times what happens when you have somebody bring up something that you're, you know you're wrong, you know you're guilty, there's no response. And so what does he choose to do? Rather than engage in mature dialogue, Jonah goes off on his own. Take a look in verse, verse five. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So question for us, what, what is Jonah doing here? What, what in the world's happening? He's already been told that he's, they, they've been forgiven, they've been, uh, the God's gonna relent, is gonna extend mercy, but he's just hanging out. And what any of us that have had young kids over the years, we understand exactly what he's doing here. It's a thing that we call pouting. It's what we do when we don't get our way. When we just sit around and we just kind of in our own misery, just like, man, I'm just disappointed with God. I'm frustrated. I'm watching to see if anything changes, but I'm just going to sit here with my, with my lip tucked in until I get my way. Think about Jonah in this situation. He's, he's operating and really it seems like in a perpetual state of pouting. It seems like this entire story, he's been living and walking that. Isn't that so often the case with us? We can, we can slip into that same mindset. When, when God doesn't do things the way that we want, when things do, our circumstances don't play out, we'll just go into pouting mode. You think about when he had given them, when he'd reached out to the city of Nineveh, he had given them very limited information. He had given them the, the eight-word sermon I talked about last week. Remember the idea is just saying, in, in 40 days, you will be overthrown. It's funny, I got a chance to stumble on that word overthrown this week and what was intended there. Basically, the word has two potential meanings. It could be when you say the word overthrown, that someone is upended or, and destroyed. Kind of the idea like Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was, that it was overthrown. It was completely annihilated. 
Interesting thing about the tense of that word is it can mean two things. The other, other thing uh, where it's used in scripture of being overthrown, it can also mean transformed and changed. When somebody is collides with a, a merciful and gracious God, you can be so upended by that encounter that you're never the same on the other side of it. You see, Jonah had hoped for the first definition, that they would be completely wiped out. And God's like, no, I have a little def different definition of what's going to happen to these people in 40 days. They're going to be so amazed by my amazing grace that they're going to be completely and radically changed moving forward. So God had other plans for these people. And so my question for us is those that are in that perpetual state of pouting and holding things against people is how do you break out of that place? How, how do you break out of that cycle? Some of us have grudges and things we've been holding on for years and years. So you talk to people and you're like, man, I haven't forgiven my mom or haven't forgiven my dad for something 20 years ago. Like, man, it's, it can really take us to a, a, a dark place and be a perpetual weight on our back. Listening to a, a pastor this week, Pastor Mackey, I've mentioned before, he was talking about this suggestion of an exercise that he had a, another pastor suggest to him. He said, why don't you start by making a list of your just worst enemies? And unfortunately, sometimes when you start doing that, you realize that the list is longer than you realize. And in that exercise, you start listing all of the traits about your enemies that you cannot stand. So name and traits about them. Then the second step, now that's the fun part, right? Some of us are like, hey, I'm game for this pastor. Like sign me up, I'll actually do that. Next step, here's the hard part. Next step is to go down that list of traits and honestly answer if you've ever exhibited any of those characteristics to anyone else. Have you ever exhibited selfishness being careless about others' feelings, dishonesty. You start working through that and being honest before God about yourself. You start to realize that the first step towards enemy love is recognizing our shared brokenness, our shared brokenness, that we're all flawed and, and, and we've all done stupid stuff. My wife and I have been watching a show. I don't know if you've uh, gotten a chance to see some of it. It's called Ted Lasso. And it's basically a kind of a, a powerful portrayal of a seemingly optimistic soccer coach, but you really start to get in the series a little bit behind the scenes and start to realize that he's kind of a, a broken guy like everybody else. He found one of, I found one of his quotes really interesting a couple of weeks ago. He said this, he says, you know, growing up, I used to believe that if you did good things, you went to heaven. You did bad things, you went to hell. Nowadays, I know we all just do both. Nowadays, I know we all just do both. You see, we have this tendency to define our offenders based on their offense rather than allowing that to be a moment in time where a poor decision was made. I'll explain what I mean. Somebody that, that goes, somebody that lies to you or, or lies about you. 
Instead of that being a moment in time where they did something stupid, they did something foolish, instead, we start to attach them. They're such a liar. Man, they, they just, man, that's just who they are. You start to attach that. We reduce their humanity to the trait that we dislike most about them. Unfortunately, and we begin to elevate their offense above anything we've ever done. Here's what's happening here. Jesus begins to deconstruct the idea of an enemy because we start to realize that everyone is messed up, but deeply loved by our God. Take a look what I mean in verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Look at God's response, verse nine. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Again, this same statement for the plant. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Finally, we get a response, a little pushback from Jonah. Look at God's response. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into, the, into being in the night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? That's the end of the story. <laughs> we'll stop there because it's the most peculiar ending of an account that you could imagine. What's going on? What's happening here? Basically, this story doesn't end with the revival because, I mean, you think about how many kids' stories and kids' accounts have nothing to do with chapter four. They don't even mention it. They just, the city turns and that's the end of the story. But what we realize here is just because the mission was accomplished, meaning that the people of Nineveh had repented and turned to God, but there was a man who still had some work to do in his life. So, what we understand, we, can, we understand God's concerned about the masses, but he's also concerned about his kids, about shaping them and forming them. Think about any, any kind of a great sculpture. There, there's, a, there's a lot of sharp edges that have to come off. There's a lot of smoothing. There's a lot of sanding that needs to take place. If God just needed results, we wouldn't even be necessary in the process. But He's making us into his likeness. So you start reading this story and you think it's about telling a story about a rebellious nation. And before you, you know it, you realize that it's God dealing with a prejudiced prophet. If honest, sometimes when people tell me stories about some God dealing in their life and some kind of circumstances that happened and they're like, well, God was trying to teach me a lesson here and he coordinated this. Sometimes, and this is embarrassing to say as a pastor, sometimes a little part of me rolls my eyes thinking like, oh, well, well, God's not really that involved in the little stuff in your life. He's not that concerned. What was powerful to me reading this this week 
you start to realize that that's just the opposite of the truth, that God is involved in the little details and he is shaping things to coordinate things with nature and experiences and conversations and interactions because he's at work all around us. We've bought into the lie that he's a distant God, but instead he's very engaged with his kids. If you're honest, look at how many times in this, this short study alone, it says that the Lord appointed a storm. The Lord appointed a fish. The Lord appointed here a plant. The Lord appointed the wind. The Lord appointed a worm. Basically, he's moving nature in this story to accomplish, to, to have object lessons for his knucklehead prophet. He, he's coordinating all of that. He's very active in our lives. God uses nature Kind of, if you're looking at this, it kind of seems like God uses nature a little bit to mess with Jonah. Sometimes you might read this and you're like, man, it just seems like God's kind of being cruel to Jonah. But if you think about it, is God's not being cruel. He wanted to save Jonah from his hard heart and prejudice. And he doesn't mind that Jonah goes through a little discomfort in order to re achieve those results. Do you follow me? He's like, I, I don't mind if I have to take him on this emotional roller coaster with this plant in order to get a point across in his life. I did find it interesting that the, really this is the very first time in the entire story that this grumpy Jonah seems at all happy when he's finally got some shade, some uh, false interpretations about this leafy plant uh, that brings comfort is maybe based on us being from California, but that's not that kind of plant. This was a, a shade plant that was keeping the sun from hitting him. What he's happy about, but then he's completely wrecked the next day when the plant dies, when the worm kills it. Kills it. And what is he willing to say? He's like, I would rather die. Just take my life. You're like, man, Jonah, you are the biggest drama king of all time. And God, notice, asks them the same exact question. Do you do well to be angry? How's that benefiting you? And then he pushes them a, a little bit further. If, you've a, if you're allowed to have compassion for this plant that you had nothing to do with, you didn't bring it, you didn't create it. If you have that kind of compassion slash passion about this plant, why in the world as the creator God, am I not allowed to have compassion for my people? It's an important thing for us to understand about the, the heart of God here. That God, and we're told in Ezekiel 33, 11, that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, that he'd rather see them turn from their ways and live. It's an important thing for us to understand. And that's the point that he's trying to get across to Jonah. He says, I, I care about people, even the Ninevites, even the jerks in your life, even the, even the, 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 the people that you've written off, the people that you've held things against. I care about those people as desperately lost as they may seem. He points to the idea of a 
120,000 people that don't know their left hand from their right. They're completely confused. Most theologians actually believe in that instance that he's referring to the kids in that area. It's kind of the idea that he's pointing to the, the kids and you're like, why is cattle? He's like pointing to the kids and the animals. Who isn't concerned? Like he's trying any appeal to the mo most archeological finds have exposed that city to be much larger than this. So it can't be the entire people group. So he's just saying, man, if, I, if I'm broken over the kids, over the animals, he says, why, why do you get some kind of a moral high ground and just being upset about a plant? Am I not allowed to show compassion to the people that I've made? Now, you noticed, and I alluded to that, that it ended pretty abruptly. It ended pretty abruptly. You're like, and much cattle, the end. You're like, what, what just happened there in that story? There's part of you as you're thinking about it, you're like, well, what is Jonah's response? He just got a, he just got a, a, a verbal kick from, from God himself. But what, what does Jonah say in response? And here's what I want to point to. I've tried to point to this through the entire series. Is that this story isn't necessarily about Jonah. It's revealing the character of our God. It's revealing the character of our God. The big idea isn't how Jonah will respond but knowing the heart of God towards his people, knowing the heart of, of God towards his people that moves him towards compassion, that he is the God of second chances. He is the God of rescue. He is the God of mercy and the depths see no bound. This is, as we mentioned, this is the most miserable, hated city and people that have done heinous things. But what you start to realize when you explore the pages of this book across the, from the, all the way to Genesis, all the way to the end, you start to realize something, that we have a God that loves rescuing Ninevites. Start to realize that, that he's, he's like, man, I'm in the business of rescuing Ninevites. I'm not waiting for the cleaned up religious type. I love rescuing people that are a complete mess. I love bringing people back that you thought were beyond reach. People that are, you're shocked to see them repent and turn to the king. Basically, he's in the business and heaven's guest list is packed with Ninevites. And it's most important for us to realize that it's not just the Ninevites. We start to realize we are the Ninevites too. We're the lost ones. We're the, the ones with our, our grudges and our misconceptions and our brokenness. We're just as desperate for, for Jesus's mercy as anybody out there. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this question that I feel like we're left lingering with is the question that really this leads to. Am I more like Jonah? Am I more like Jesus? in the lens in which I see people? Do I see him as the, as the enemy, as the Ninevite, or do I see him with compassion? Next time you're stuck in traffic on the 101 and you're looking around at all the faces, you have to start asking God, give me a heart for people like you have for people. Give me a, 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 a compassion for people like you have. The only reason I'm able to stand is because, just like Jonah, because of God's amazing mercy in my life. The question that we have for Jonah is, how did he respond? You're kind of like, well, I don't know that we'll ever know. Most theologians believe that the author of Jonah is Jonah. 
So there's something that tells us that he's received this, that he's willing to go back and retell the story. And who looks like the idiot in the entire story? Jonah does. But Jonah is okay with making God the hero and him looking like the buffoon tells you a little something about maybe what God had done in his heart through this entire process. Well, just as we wrap up, let me pray. Uh, Thank you again for being a part of this series. Hopefully you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for this chance to study your word and this character that had a direct encounter with you. And as foolish as he may seem, holding on to bitterness and grudges for this people group, God, allow us to put the, the mirror up and to see ourselves through that same lens, to ask some tough questions. Who am I not releasing from forgiveness? Who am I giving myself permission to hold grudges against? God, I thank you for this beautiful picture of your character. God, forgive us for any time getting lost and thinking of you as the the angry, upset God instead of seeing you as the compassionate God that's slow to, 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 to judge and is quick to extend mercy. We thank you for that even now in song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my Promise.
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. All right, church family, as usual, thanks for being with us online. And the invite that I always have is just any way we can serve you or minister or pray for you during the week, always feel the freedom to reach out. Uh, where Josh was referring to that uh, prayer line, we really do look forward to things that we can be lifting up for you during the week. So feel free to take advantage of that. God bless you. Have a great day.